Well, good morning, my friends. It is good to be in the house. It is good to worship with you. It uh, appears that you came for one reason, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. You got after it, and you went after him. I love it. I love it. I love it. So uh, I began this first service with something a little bit different this morning. And you know what? I do not want to uh, disappoint you guys, so I want to give you something a little bit special this morning, too. Um, and uh, Miss Bree is my awesome, awesome assistant this morning. Appreciate her so much. And you're wondering, what in the world is Bree going to do and how is it going to affect me? Well, it won't affect all of you, just some of you. So we had an interesting panel in the first service. Uh, most of them were, uh, I'm going to guess, uh, 10 or under. We're going to have a different panel in this one this time. Anybody that is 15 and under is invited to come and join this panel. 15 and under. I want you to come and join. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. It's easy. That's Roger. Come on. Seriously. <laughs> Anybody? Going once, going twice, because me and Bree will answer these. I'm telling you. All right. We got one. No, no, no. no nobody else under 15 in the entire room. Oh, there's another one. Awesome. Yeah, right up here, man. Y'all are the awesome panel of the morning. Oh, come on. Yeah, you're awesome. You're awesome, but you're going to have to sit down here. <laughs> she can. So can, so can I. So y'all can, y'all can, y'all can, yeah, that's perfect. That's standing right there. Anybody else going to join us? No? Okay. All right. We've got the perfect panel then. Because we got a very intelligent panel here this morning. All right. Did anybody get all the way to where you're reading the uh, top of the bulletin that we put up this morning? Anybody get there yet? No. Did you listen to the song that was going on right before the service? Did you catch the name of it or what it was about? No, you weren't. No, you... We're talking about loyalty today. All right. So I got a question for all of you. So she's going to hook you up. So when you get ready to answer the question, just say, all right, I got this. All right. You ready? All right. When you hear the word loyal, what does it mean to you? What does loyal mean? The word loyal. Hit it, man. To be wise. To be wise. All right. Anybody else want to fill it in, fill it out a little bit more? To be loyal to someone and help them wherever they're in trouble. All right. So wise, loyal, willing to help someone, especially like when they're in the troubles. Anything else, Miss Katie? People are reading my notes before they get here. Come on, girl. I know. I, know. I mean, there's no way you could have known. Did, did you tell her before we came what I was talking about? Yeah, that's awesome. So we're talking about loyalty today. And so uh, I'm not asking you to tell on your parents. That's not what we're talking about up here today. I just want you to know what kind of things are we loyal to? What are we loyal to? And I'm not just you, but, but we in this world, what are we loyal to? Name one thing that we're loyal to. Friends. Friends. Perfect. Well, answer number two for you. Friends. <laughs> if, if you say friends. Family. Family. All right. We got two different answers. So friends and family. What else are we loyal to? Job. We definitely should be. Now, if I brought up something like um, Sweet Sixteen. Is anybody loyal to anything? No. No loyalty because all your teams already get beat. I know. Okay, I get that. Okay. But if this was football game day, 
Will there be any loyal people in this room? There would be. There would be. There would be. Yeah, we wouldn't agree with all of them, but we would like some of the players, right? What else are we loyal to? We're loyal to our friends. We're loyal to our family. We're loyal to our teams. We're loyal to our God, church, parents, jobs. <laughs> He's just pulled completely out of your hand. All right, so you're going to learn this today, and I clearly already know it. But if I ask you what the opposite of loyalty is, what would it be? Dishonest? You got to hear that one. If you look up the anonym, the opposite of loyalty, you get betrayal. If you look up the anonym to betrayal, guess what you get? Loyalty. Good night. You guys are absolutely amazing. Y'all give them a hand up here. Three amazing, young, awesome human beings. Head on back. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Bree. I totally messed that up with you, but that's my bad. So we're talking about loyalty. And while we're talking about loyalty, I think about some of you in this room because there are some men in this room that uh, I could really push your loyalty and we could go out in the parking lot and uh, I could start down in your truck. And you're going to be loyal to it or your car. You're, going to be, you're, you're, you're loyal to it. You're loyal to your schools. You're loyal to your families. You're loyal to, we're loyal to so many things in this world. But as was spoken, I think right here and right here, there's a loyalty to our Heavenly Father that I think we miss sometimes. That's why we're talking about loyal like Jesus. It's a different understanding of what loyalty is. And so I want to try to help us gather that. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. The Scripture passages that we're looking at, when we start looking at it, you're going to be like, how in the world are you going to get to loyalty from that? Because we are in John chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and look it up. Uh, and if you uh, pulled up that outline, I hope you did. Because there's going to be a few notes that I think you're going to want to take this morning. Or at least I hope that you will because I think they will be helpful to you. Uh, and the reality is, is that all of us in this room, we've got this characteristic. We are loyal to something, to someone, uh, to a fault a lot of times. We are loyal to people and loyal But sometimes that loyalty is misplaced as to what our most important loyalty is. That's what I want us to gather today. Everybody is loyal to something or to somebody. So uh, a tough truth. You and I will never know what we are absolutely loyal to until that allegiance is tested. Until it's put under the fire, uh, until it's life or death, we won't really know where our loyalty lies. I'm thinking about things that cost us, um, and they probably cost us more than we get from them is kind of the way it tends to work. And the example that seems to, if you will, shine out above all the rest that I see in what's going on and in our news and what's happening in life today in our world uh, I think the brightest spot that I see in a, that, that is a description or a, a picture of loyalty are the citizens of Ukraine. Now think about it. It's bizarre. Uh, 
we've only heard of troubles coming from Ukraine for most of our lives, whether we're children or whether we're adults. That's what seems to have come from there. But I want you to think, and you've seen the pictures, you've seen the, 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 the Twitter feeds, you've seen the, the messages that have pulled up on YouTube and such from these, you've seen the news. And young men and young women, barely teenagers, taking up arms to fight for something that they believe in, willing to die for. And it's not just the young ones, which would be very similar to our three awesome assistants that we had in here answering questions for us this morning, but it's also those who are in their 60s and 70s who are willing to absolutely fight for what they believe in they are loyal to their families they are loyal to their country so loyal they believe in it it's their home they love it they're so loyal they're willing to die for it that is loyalty it's a loyalty that quite frankly a lot of us really have never been forced to defend or to stand for So, as we were told here just a moment ago, shouldn't we be loyal to Jesus? His loyalty went all the way. Willing to die for us. He he did die for us so that we might have life and have it abundantly, right? So where does our loyalty lie? Well, let's begin by looking in John chapter 13. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in John chapter 13 and verse 21. Now Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at each other. Picture what's going on in this room. They are at the Last Supper. Okay, Uh, Jesus has just washed their feet, all of their feet. And he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. And the disciple Jesus loved, if you're not familiar with that terminology, this is the Apostle John. He's writing this first person, and that's how he described himself in John. The disciple whom Jesus loved, John, was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Verse 24, Simon Peter motioned to him and asked, who's he talking about? And so the disciple, that is John, leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? And Jesus responded, it is the one whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered him. And then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you are going to do. Here's the first question I think all of us need to ask ourselves as we walk into this talk on loyalty today. This is what we need to do. We need to look for betrayal in our own personal life. We need to look for where we are betraying the one who gave his life for us. And you might say, well, I wouldn't. Be careful with that because you're going to find yourself in somebody else's shoes here in just a second. In verse 21, one of the, uh, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Uh, And 
my awesome candidates here did such a great job, you now know what the anonym for betrayal is, right? It is loyal. I'm going to have to bring y'all up again because they've already forgotten. So the anonym for loyal is betrayal. So you, get, you, you have a choice to make, and I have a choice. And there's no in-between in this. Either I'm loyal or I'm a betrayer. Or I'm a betrayer or I'm loyal. It's a question that we have to ask ourselves. It's so important, I think, that we see this and understand in this passage. Up until the moment when Judas walked out of the upper room, where he had been with Jesus and the disciples, it seemed that Judas had fooled everyone. Let that sink in for a second. It seems like it, it at least appears on paper that he fooled everyone up until that point, maybe even himself, where he thought that what he was doing with Jesus was real. If you don't see the picture they believed who Judas was as a disciple among them. They believed him. They trusted him. Now, you may say, well, how did they trust him? Well, they put him in charge of all of the money that the disciples would use as they would go in, as they would feed people, as they would go in, as they would help people, as they would stay somewhere, as they would eat somewhere. He was in charge of all of the funds that the disciples had. He was in charge of them. He was in on every single meeting. He was one of the twelve. He was part of that unique fellowship that Jesus had set aside. And so the reality is, and I just want us to ask and think about this question for ourselves. He did fool everyone except Jesus. And I think a lot of time in our lives, we think that we've got this thing licked because well, we've got everybody else fooled. Everybody in our house, everybody in our church, everybody in our youth group, everybody in TG Kids, everybody at work, maybe even the person that we're married to. We think we've got all of them fooled, but the reality is we've not fooled Jesus. Some of us in this room are doing that Judas thing, and you can fool everybody else, but Jesus knows where your loyalty lies. We might be able to see it. We might be able to perceive it to some level. But Jesus knows it. Verse 22, I find this really interesting. They looked at each other. This is like the, you know, you remember the disciples, they're sitting at the Lord's table, so they're all gathered around, kind of like a horseshoe kind of event, so it's perfect for the portrait. And they're looking at each other in this. You know what happens when you sit at the table? Why do they say families need to sit together at this table so we can look at each other in the eye, so we can see the expression, so we can ask the question? They looked at each other, and they're thinking. You can see it in the tones of the voices of John and Peter here. Who in the world? Who would do this? Why would they do this? How would they do this? Why would they? Why? And they are beginning to get the fact that Jesus knows their thoughts. And so this question starts crossing their mind. Could it be me? Is he, is he talking about me? I'm just saying, don't be afraid to ask Jesus. 
Lord, is it me? Am I, am I betraying you and what I do? I'm going to share with you a few illustrations in a couple of moments, and I think you'll realize that, yes, this is us sometimes. We do this. I read, as I read verse 23 and 24, and I see uh, a very, I know it's not a real word, but a unpeterisk, not like Peter verbiage that is given to us in an action that he did in a question. So he, I don't know what he does, but somehow he gets John's attention across the table because John is actually sitting beside Jesus. And then he whispers or something and says, find out who it is. Now, you see why that's not like Peter? Peter's the one that would have stood up at the table and said, all right, Lord, just tell us who it is. Just put it out there. Now, why did he not? We can only speculate, but I got the feeling that the real deal is this. Could it be me? Could it, could it be me? John, ask him. I don't know if you've ever felt like that before. But I think that's exactly what went on here in John chapter 13. Now let's keep this real. We'd be hard-pressed to find humans who actually walked physically closer to Jesus than the 12 disciples. And yet, all of them would eventually let Jesus down in his greatest need at that greatest hour when he needed them more than anything else. And they would all 12 let him down. You might remember a couple of these in the garden praying against uh, the struggle and the temptation and Jesus asked the disciples to pray so that they would not come into temptation as well. And he comes back to three, which two of them happen to be Peter and John. And he comes back and he's like, sleeping? Really, guys? This was for your good. I asked you to stay back and to pray. And you're sleeping. And Jesus knows because he knows all, but you're humans. The very hour that he is taken to the cross, that same Peter that said, Lord, I, will, I would never deny I would never deny you. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me not once, but three times. And what did he do? I don't even, I don't even know who you're talking about. I've never been with him. I, Jesus who? It's what he does three different times. And then, according to Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus was arrested, it says this, all of the disciples deserted him and ran away. I don't know if you see that number there, but that is 12 for 12, even though one already jetted out early. Judas. And they were the closest ones to Jesus. I don't know if you've been in these shoes before, but I imagine you probably have, and whether it was a family member, or a friend at work, a friend at school, someone that you met out here in the parking lot while we were ministering to other people. And it was clear as day that God opened up the door for you to be able to talk about Jesus. Maybe not necessarily even to get all the way into the gospel, but the door was wide open. And you knew it because the Holy Spirit was speaking to your spirit that you were supposed to say something to them. And you don't. You don't. 
You know what that's called? Betrayal. Holy Spirit didn't put that on you so that you could walk away from it without saying anything. That's why when you lay down later at night and you're staring at the ceiling or staring at the wall or watching one more episode of Netflix that you cannot sleep and there's that burden in your heart. Why didn't I? Lord, I'm sorry. Why didn't I? It's a modern day betrayal that we do. I know this is uncomfortable, but we all have a little bit of Judas in us that's willing to betray at some cost. Not saying that we're not saved, because I'm talking about even in the footsteps of Peter and in John, there was a definite level of betrayal that took place there. But the question is, what are we going to do about it? This is the good news. Jesus died for the disloyal. Honestly, Jesus actually died for the betrayer. Now, the betrayer had to choose him back, and he chose not from everything we see in Scripture. But with the other disciples, even though they betrayed, they chose Jesus. They made their commitment. They trusted Christ by grace through faith. Jesus died for the disloyal. That's us. That's everybody. Where are we, where am I publicly and privately in betraying Jesus? And only you can answer that question. In John 13, and verse 28, none of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. And since Judas was the treasurer, some thought that Jesus was telling him to go and to pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. And so Judas left at once, going into the night, And as soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into His glory, and God will be glorified because of Him. Verse 32, And since God receives glory because of the Son, He will give His own glory to the Son, and He will do that at once. In other words, it's happening right now. It's about to happen. Verse 33, Dear children, I will be with you a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. Now, knowing the rest of the story, knowing what happens by grace through faith in the Son of God, we know that when Jesus says, you can't go where I'm going, the insinuation is you can't go where I'm going yet. That can make you smile a little bit. Because by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with your faith in Him, that can all change. Which leads to number two on your outline. I hope you'll jot this down. Live for God's glory like Jesus did. Look and then live. Live for God's glory like Jesus did. This world that we live in is a messed up place. We don't have to look long. Matter of fact, most of us in this room will take a fast from news quite often because we can only handle so much because this world is so messed up but there's nothing broken that god can't fix if we will trust him to do the fixing that's his truth not mine that's his word not mine 
Some of us in this room believe that God could never repair what I have done. Let me just make this crystal clear. So long as you have breath in your lungs and a heart that will say, Lord, I can't, but you can, he will. But you have to allow him to do this. You have to live for God's glory like Jesus did. He fixes everything for his glory. Verse 31, Jesus says that his time has come to enter into glory. And from a human perspective, what that meant was that Jesus' darkest moments were right there. And what it meant for his disciples was that what they were about to observe, the feelings they were about to experience, what they would see, some of them, as Jesus was on the cross, what some of them would see as they went to the tomb, expecting to find a dead body on the third day, would be things that they could never imagine. It was dark thoughts. It was, Jesus is gone, now what? From a human perspective, it was dark. Now think about it, the disciples had already been told by Jesus that all of this was going to happen, that he would die, that he would uh, be in the grave for three days after he was put in, and on the third day that he would be resurrected by the Father. He tells us, tell, told them that that would happen. But they still didn't completely get it. But God would be glorified through it. Now here's a cool picture to lint, to to. to, to Take a glimpse back on. Just two weeks ago, we were finishing up Genesis chapter 50. Joseph was there, and he makes a statement that actually really works for the situation where he is in. But I want you to hear that in relation to what's happening right now. And I want you to hear how Genesis is attached to John. How Joseph and what happened in Joseph's life is very much what happened in the life of Jesus. Because in Genesis 50, 20... What you meant for evil, God has used for good to save many people. Do you see how that applies right here, right now? What Judas, Judas, what you meant for evil, God is about to use for good to save the lives of many. You see, it's not unrelated, it's very related. Jesus lived for God's glory, 100% period, loyal. Jesus did what he did because of his great love for the Father, his great love for us, and because he desired to glorify his Father. I think about it like this. We talk about glorify here at the Grove a lot. You pass the sign as you came in. It shows a picture of the cross, and it's, it's like illuminated with the power of God coming from it. And the reality is, it is about God's glory. Uh, we call it glorify at, at the Grove. And to glorify God should be the why behind everything we do and everything we say in our lives. To glorify God. Why do I want to do this? To glorify God. Why am I doing that? I better be doing it to glorify the Lord. That is loyalty. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 says this no one can serve two masters for you will hate the one and love the other you will be devoted to one and despise the other and yes i know that jesus is specifically talking about money there but think of the reality of how that affects this this passage that we're looking at today what we're loyal to we're going to be loyal to one and hate the other really it's kind of how it works out it's what we're loyal to jesus was betrayed by one of his close followers. And it's bizarre because we 
learned that he was betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. It ended up being thrown on the floor like that at one point in Scripture. But I think about 30 pieces of silver. And the first thing that comes to my mind, what's the significance of 30 pieces of silver? Shekels. They would have called them in the first century. There's a lot of uh, research that has been done, but nobody can claim the, the gnosis, the knowledge of it, because we don't understand exactly why there were 30 pieces of silver. People have tried to say, well, a shekel was worth X amount of what would be dollars today, so we add that up and you come up to $186 or $197. It's according to how they figured at the time what the value of that shekel was. At the time, some had figured it up and said, oh, it was silver, so it was worth a whole lot more. So actually, you can't just count it as a shekel. you got to count it as, as real silver. So real silver on the real shekel meant, oh, that was worth thousands upon thousands of dollars. So we don't know the value of it, but we know that it, if you go back to the book of Exodus, there was an issue where a slave was killed. And when that slave was killed, the reality was is that according to the word, they were ordered to pay a certain amount of money back to the owner so that he could return his value. Can you imagine what that amount of money was? It was 30 shekels to purchase a servant or slave. You know, we don't know which one that is. We know the reality is, is that Jesus was given up for so much less than he's worth because he's worthy of it all. We sing that. All. Not 30 pieces of silver. All. He's worthy of it all. Our loyalty to Jesus ought to be consistent. It ought to outweigh everything else that life can throw at us. In John chapter 13, in verse 34 and 35, it closes out like this. It says, Now I am giving you a new commandment. This is important, super important, because Jesus only uses the word new in the book of John one time. And so he gives them a new commandment, and he says, Love each other. That doesn't sound new. That doesn't sound new. We know we heard it in Matthew. But what is that? Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It almost seems like it doesn't fit until you realize what he's talking about. And that's number three on your outline. Love others like Jesus does and nobody will ever have to wonder about your loyalty. If we love people like Jesus, nobody will ever have to wonder who your God is because it will be different than everything else. It will look different. It will sound different. It will have a different... Well, here's where we go with this. Jesus says, I give them a new commandment. It's not a game. It's not something they are going to do or try for a little while. It's new. It is a change in the way that you love. The love is not new, but the motivation behind that love is transformational. The way that they express that love will be different than they've ever experienced in all of their life. That is new. And Jesus is about to demonstrate that that love in a way that no one else ever could or nobody else ever will. Remember, he's a day away from the cross. He's about to be the living, dying picture of greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his brother. That 
is the Jesus that we're talking about. This is the kind of crazy love he wants his disciples to have for each other and for the world. One that is willing to die for another brother or sister in Christ. One that's willing to... Now think about it. If we know Christ, if we lose our life this day for the glory of God, it's still a very good day for us. It's just the beginning of eternity on the other side. And that is different. This kind of crazy love points back to him. It gives him glory. Will Kynes, who is an um, uh, associate professor at Sanford University, go Bulldogs, talk about loyalty, there you go. He said this, your love for others puts your loyalty to God on display. Let that sink in for a second. Your loyalty, your love for others puts your loyalty to God on display. It's like a shining light that lets other people see that. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in verse 35. Christ-like love proves your loyalty. Christ-like love is not easy. Christ-like love is a sacrifice. If you think back to last week, Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples and he said, you should do the same to each other. You should serve one another like this. He was saying, don't just watch this. Don't just learn what I'm showing you here. Don't just take it in and memorize it. Don't just read the scripture on it. Don't, don't get it so good that you can give it away to others by telling them about it. What did he say? Do it. So guess what this passage means? Don't just learn all this stuff about love. Don't memorize every passage about love in the Word for the purpose of memorizing that passage. Don't know all about it and know what all the pictures mean. And a matter of fact, don't even get so good at it that you're able to give it away and teach other people about it. That's not what he said. What did he say? Do it. Love people like I love people. That bar is higher than any of us could ever reach. That's why we have to have Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things, including love people, through Christ who gives me strength. This is where the message to me really begins to mess me up. My love for others either proves or disproves my loyalty to Christ. My love for others either proves or disproves if I'm a disciple of Christ. So here's your loyalty challenge for the week. Think about it like this. This sounds so weird, but you can't deny it. It's said too many times. I think it's a dozen times through Scripture that it's said. Our God is a jealous God. What that means is He wants all of you. He wants all of me. He wants all of our loyalty. You know why? Because He gave us all of His loyalty. He bled it out for it. He died for it. He loved us that much. I think back... And there's, I think, seven different books that it talks about the jealousy of God in. 
But maybe the one that doesn't say it that says it the best was in, uh, in those tough Ten Commandments that we try to live by. The first four in Exodus chapter 20, think about the very first one. You shall love the Lord your God above everything. Everything. It's repeated at least twice more, once by the very mouth of Jesus. The second one, that you won't make any other idols. The Lord your God is the one and only. I think about the third one. Don't even misuse my name, for my name is holy. Remember how holy it was? The, the, the early Hebrews wouldn't even say the name Yahweh for fear of death because they honored that holy name in such a great way. And think of what we do to His name. And you shall observe the Sabbath to worship me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Worship me. And yeah, I think about some of us because I've, I've been this guy before. But I always sit there and they move my seat this morning. Or I just don't really feel good this morning. I worship, but I worship at another time. Or it was a late night. That concert got a little bit long. I know it was a Christian concert, so I kind of worshiped then, right? You, you may have, and great. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I just think about things that we do to make excuses. The parking lot is so messy. I'll get the carpet dirty in here. I can't do that because there's not enough parking places. I just wonder about my own loyalties tonight. Just three questions as we wrap this up. What or whom do I love the most? What or whom do I genuinely love the most? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 follows on the foot, footsteps of, uh, of the Ten Commandments, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Jesus repeats it in Matthew chapter 22. What or whom do I love the most? Second is this, what or who will I seek over everything and everyone else? And Jesus said it so clear in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Seek me first, and I will take care of every need, every genuine need that you have. That's a promise from our Lord. Who do I love the most? Who will I seek over everything else? The last one. What choice will I make today? I think about it like this. Joshua, in Joshua 24 and verse 15, he says, But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of our ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. And then he says some words that I think you and I have to answer today. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my family, 
we will choose to glorify the Lord alone. As for me and my family, I will be loyal to Jesus because Jesus was loyal to me. I picked up a book this week that I haven't taken off my shelf in a long time. And I'll be honest with you, the reason I haven't taken it off my shelf in a long time is because it's so convicting. Writer is Fox with an E. It's called Fox's uh, Book of Martyrs. I'll be honest with you, if you pick it up or if you look it up online and, and download it, if you ever start reading it, you just want to read one story at a time. Because this is a story of over 200 people since 33 A.D., that were so loyal to Christ. Husbands, wives, missionaries, workers in the States, workers in China, who gave up their life for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would we? Because we say we have the confidence of knowing that if we breathe our last breath, that we know that Christ has us. We say that. But we're like, Lord, I'm only 15. I'm only 35. I'm only 50. I'm only 60. I'm only 70. I've got lots of years to live. Maybe this is really living. It ended up being the fate of all but one of the disciples, so we learned. And it's not that Jesus will call us to do that. It's just He's called us to be willing to die so that others might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is loyalty. Some of you in this room feel a little bit like Judas right now. Maybe a lot. And you know that it's not just coins that have been tossed where you betray Jesus. You betray Jesus at this point that you would honestly say, I, I haven't even given my life to Him. I understand now what he did for me. He died on a cross for me. So in that, I have not trusted him yet. I have fully betrayed him. If that is you, Jesus said, repent of your sins and trust me by grace through faith. Now, at this moment, today. And you can come take me, you can come take Roger by the hand, and we'd love to walk you through that. These waters are going to be getting... Uh, there's going to be a few ripples going on in those in the next few weeks. And I'm so excited because some of our teenagers have given their life to Jesus. For all the rest of us in this room, if we've already got that relationship and we know without a shadow of a doubt we've given our life to Jesus, we realize now in this moment that there are very real life things that we have done even this week where we have betrayed the Lord Jesus. He spoke to our heart. He told us what to say. He told us what to do. We knew it and we said, Nope, not now. Not convenient, could be embarrassing, could cost me. So nope. If that's you, maybe you need to find yourself at this altar before a holy God. Like I've already found myself this week. Lord, make things right with me and you again. I confess what I've done. Fix me, I can't. Would you stand with me across this place?
Lord, please fix what we can't. That begins with salvation. Please fix what we can't where we have betrayed you as followers of you. Help us to be bold. Maybe it's praying with our family. Maybe it's going to someone else in this room and asking them to pray for us. Whatever it is, Lord, that we would listen to your spirit and we would obey in this moment. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You listen to your Father. You respond to him even now.